0: And evidently the microphone's on already. Well, good morning, I am Dr. Miles Mullen from Hannibal Grange University, and um, if you're visiting today, thank you so much for being here. If you're blessed by the sermon this morning, uh, Brian invited me, and if you are not blessed, Brian will be back next week. So things work out really well. Uh, Brian did tell me, he said, like, we have a clear pulpit, so that throws some people off. And I'm like, well, I usually wear pants when I preach, so I don't think that's much of a problem. Although with the Zoom, you know, with COVID and Zoom, everybody's Zooming, you know, you're never sure what anyone is wearing on the bottom these days. But I, I do usually wear pants when I preach, so... Well, I am uh, Miles Mullen, I'm a Professor of Christian Studies and Religious History at Hannibal Grange University, I do a few other things there. So thank you so much for your support through the Missouri Baptist Convention of the education that we provide students, that we provide students a Christian education across all the disciplines, not just in Christian studies, but in nursing business, et cetera, et cetera, teacher education. So we're especially gratified that the church, your church participates in uh, giving through the Missouri Baptist and some of that comes to us. So thank you very much for that. Um, well, I'll let you in on a little secret about the lifestyle of a a professor. So when you first start teaching, usually you've freshly graduated from graduate school. Um, hopefully you've had some experience outside of higher education, like in business or something like that. That's always very helpful, I find. Um, and, and you're kind of close to the students, and you're close in age, and you kind of get what they're talking about and cultural references and technology and all that stuff. And it's good to keep up on that stuff, but at some point you realize, like I have recently, that I'm old enough to be my student's dad now. And so you have to recognize that you, you've changed and, and, and you're in that new stage of being a, a professor. And, and one of the, th- the cool things about being in this stage of, of, profess- of being a professor that I'm in is that you can tell the back in my day stories. Right? So right now we have this kind of cultural obsession with superheroes that, that is uh, across the United States and, and probably, across more than, probably across the world. But back in my day, superheroes were just something that nerdy kids read in comic books. And there were a few, there were a few others. Um, there was maybe the, uh, the superhero show, if you might want to call it that, The Six Million Dollar Man, 1974, The Bionic Woman. Some of you remember that. But the first ever superhero show that was on television was The Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk, you remember that? So It started out, every, every, every week started like this. Dr. David Banner, physician scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation interacts with his unique body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs, this creature is driven by rage and pursued by an investigative reporter. An accidental explosion took the life of a fellow scientist and supposedly David Banner as well, as well. The reporter thinks the creature was responsible. Now, a murder which David Banner can never prove he or the creature didn't commit. So he must let the world go on thinking that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit dwells within him. Some of you remember that quite well and you watch that. We watched it at my house because my dad was kind of a, a bodybuilding fan and loved Lou Ferrigno and Lou Ferrigno was play the Incredible Hulk and, and, and David Banner has this life, life-changing encounter with um, gamma radiation that changes him. and gives him this super strength. And that's a, the that's a story of a lot of superheroes, isn't it? You think of Captain America with the super soldier serum. You think of uh, uh, Peter Parker encountering that radioactive or now genetically modified spider and the new retelling of the Spider-Man story and their life has changed. changed. And and those are cool stories, and we enjoy those very much. But what is more important than that is what we see in the Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, is that people, boys and girls, men and women, everyone needs to come to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. We're going to be in John chapter 9. John chapter 9 and as we as we begin and open up the the scripture this morning I want to remind you John's intention in this book is I write these things that you may know that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that you might and that you might believe in him and have faith in his name John 20 31 he wants he's writing this to convince people that Jesus Christ is that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God that they might have faith in his name and he's writing it he's writing a story the whole book of John is a story and, and like other stories, it has uh, characters, it has plot, it has all those things. And then each individual story also has those things. Now when I say story, I'm just saying that it, it's told in a way that we can relate to with characters, plots, setting, all those kind of things. It's a true story. The scriptures are the scripture it tells the stories in a story-like fashion, but they're true stories. They, they really, really happen. And we see, too, in, 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 uh, in John, it, as in any story, there's characters. And in John, the Gospel of John, often when we see an anonymous character, that is a signal to us that we're supposed to imagine ourselves responding to Jesus Christ in the way that that character did. And we're going to see that here in John chapter 9. Uh, we're going to meet an anonymous character. And the Scripture is going to encourage us to respond to Jesus the same way that he did. And so I'm going to read just the first five verses right now. And if you want to stand for the reading of God's word, we'll start with John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Beginning in verse 1, the scripture says this. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not this man it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. He who We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You may be seated. And the disciples and Jesus, they're in Jerusalem. They're there for the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and we see here in John chapter 9, we see what we see in every story. This is a, a story within the story, what the Bible scholars might call a pericope. And we see in this story the, 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 se- the setting, the beginning of the story. And we see here that life with Jesus, a life-changing encounter with Jesus is initiated by him. That's the first thing. We see that it starts with him, that the beginning of an encounter with Jesus, the beginning of our life being changed by Jesus starts with him. Notice what it says. He passed by. He was passing by. They're in Jerusalem. He's just passing by. What's that mean in the Greek? It means he's just kind of walking by. Then there's this blind guy. That's how sometimes we see this in John. Sometimes that's how ministry happens. You're just going about your daily life. You're walking by and an opportunity to minister happens. And Jesus is attuned to that. Other times, ministry is very intentional, right? Remember the in chapter 4, the woman at the well, he, he intentionally went through Samaria when that was not how Jews usually did that in that day because he knew he was going to have an encounter with this woman at the well. He's, he's just walking around in chapter 8, and they bring this woman caught in adultery to him, and he ministers to her, go and sin no more neither do I condemn you. And now here we see the same thing. He's going about his daily business, he's passing by, and there is is an opportunity for ministry, and Jesus does not hesitate to take it. I think that's instructive to us. We need to be aware that ministry, yes, can be planned, but ministry also happens in the day-to-day things of our lives as we're walking by like Jesus was. Now, this man was born blind, and in in the Gospel of John, uh, darkness, is a, is a symbol it's metaphorical for 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 spiritual darkness we see this way back in john chapter one john sets up the whole of the book and he says in him was life this is john chapter one verse four and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the sh- the light <laughs> shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and the whole trajectory of the book is about the darkness not overcoming the light that is jesus and that's why he's, he's referring to, we must work the works of the one. Well, basically, while I'm here, I've got to do the work of ministry. See, the disciples are like a lot of people. They're, they're more interested in talking about, well, who sinned, this man or his, his parents? Because that's what was common and believed in that day. There's something bad happened to you that it was because you sinned or your parents. We see this in the book of Job, all the way back to the book of Job, one of the uh, ancient, most, well, probably one of the oldest stories in the, in the scripture. And Jesus is not interested in that. Jesus is not interested in using this guy as an object lesson to talk about um, theology at the point when ministry is needed. This guy needs to be ministered to. And so Jesus just kind of dispels that and he begins to minister to this man. He reaches out to them. This man has no hope of reaching out to Jesus because he's blind, he can't see. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about back um, when my kids were little, one of my boys had fish, fish. I have two boys. Actually, there are two men now. Um, I had fish. They had fish. And, and we had a fish. It was a beta because they're the easiest to care for, right? They're Like hardy, they, they don't, I mean, you can't do anything to them except feed them. They don't die. They refuse to die sometimes. You're like, please die. It's time to move on. And we did have, the first one was named KK. And KK did die. KK did die, and then we went and got another one, and said, well, what do you want to name this fish? Oh, we'll call him another one KK. So that was, the, that was what our fishes were named, KK and another one KK. But I remember, you know what fish do when they're mad? This is what they watch. This is what they do. You know what fish do when they're, when they're happy? And how about when they're hungry? They just sit there. They don't do anything. They're hopeless. If they're hungry, they can't tell you. They can't communicate it. You have to remember to feed them. You have to reach out to them. And my son, it was good, good for, for him to learn to be responsible and take care of that fish. And you had to reach out to him and feed him. And that's what we're like. That's what the scripture portrays that we're like before Jesus initiates an encounter with him. Before he reaches out to us, Romans ten, Romans three, I'm sorry, ten and eleven, citing Psalms fourteen says, uh, it says this. I'm going to just turn over to it real quick. No one is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's what we're like before Jesus Christ reaches out to us. Spiritually, we are like the blind man. Ephesians five says this. For this Ephesians 5 verse 7, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord, reminding the Ephesians, right? And talking about how they were dead in their sins earlier in chapter 2 of Ephesians, reminding them they were in darkness, spiritual darkness. And that's the metaphor. Like this is a real story that really happened to a real blind guy, but it also is illustrative in John's telling of the spiritual darkness that is true about all of us before Jesus Christ reaches out to us. And here's the good news as we head towards it, towards the Advent season next, next week. Jesus Christ has reached out to all of us in the incarnation in becoming a human being for us and for our salvation. That all who place their faith and confidence in him will have not only forgiveness of sins, but eternal life through the way that he's conquered death in the grave. He's reached out to all of us. He invites us to respond. He invites us to respond. He initiates that encounter with us. And God, even if you're not a Christian, that's what God is doing right now. He's initiating a, a relationship with you. He's reaching out to you. If you are a Christian, he's still doing the same thing. He initiates over and over and over again. You know what Jesus said? Follow me. You know what Jesus is saying now? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Five hundred times, he's saying that over and over. And the great thing about being in Christ, the great thing about being a believer, is we're never going to have all of Jesus. There's always going to be more and more. Even when we go to glory, it's going to be more and 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 more more Jesus. We're not going to be bored because there's always wonderfulness to to plumb the depths of who he is and what he's done for us and to worship him forever. This is what the picture of uh, Some of you know the Chronicles of Narnia in the last battle, which has some problematic elements to it. But that idea of further up and further in in Narnia, we just keep going further and further. It gets better and better and better. He's always initiating over and over. So the story in John chapter 9 begins with Jesus. He initiates. He initiates this encounter with the blind man. He's more concerned about ministry than talking about a theology of sin. And then look what happens. Jesus is going to initiate. He's going to reach out to this man. He's showing his disciples that ministry, that, that, that people are there for ministry. And he's going to do something. He's going to do something. So that's kind of the beginning of the story. Then we get to the big plot of the story. Look at what it says in John chapter 6. It says, having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva. You know, if we didn't know that story, that would be really weird, by the way. So I'll, I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Then he anointed the man's with the mud, eyes with the mud and said to, them, go walk, said to him, go watch in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and watched and came back seeing. Then the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were, were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, no, but he is like him. But he kept saying, hey, I'm the man. Yeah, it's really me. So then they said to him, how then were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man named called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, "Go go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. What's interesting about this is throughout the whole of the Bible, the main character is God. And through the whole of the Gospels, the main character is Jesus Christ. But in John, oftentimes Jesus is at the beginning of a story and then then kind of takes a back seat in, in, in the, the man here, the blind man, or the more man formerly blind at this point, is now the main character. We're supposed to be paying attention to him. Jesus, he doesn't even know where Jesus is. Jesus is kind of uh, in the background. Is Jesus going to show back up? We know. We've read, yeah, he's going to show back up, but we don't know that if you're reading along for the first time. So the highlight is on this man born blind. And think about this man. Think about he's sitting there begging. That's the only hope he had in the ancient world. They didn't have a social safety net back then like like we do these days. Uh, His only hope was to beg. He's sitting there begging. And yes, it's true that back in the ancient world, they believed that saliva had some healing properties to it or some medicinal value. They believed a lot of crazy things back then. You know, until about 150 years ago, you were more likely to be uh, hurt by a doctor than helped by a doctor. Okay? So back then they believed that, just like we're kind of, I don't know, maybe kind of like we're like some rub some dirt on it, kid, you know? That that's a good thing, right? So so they believed that, but don't you think this guy had thought about trying rubbing saliva on his eyes before? Probably he'd been through that. You know, probably every You know when you get sick, everybody has an opinion about what you should do. Some of them get it from reliable sources, some of them read it on Facebook, you know, that kind of thing. So so Jesus, I mean, he spits on the ground. And begins to smear that stuff on the blind guy's, guy's eyes. I think, man, you guys gotta, probably got to be thinking, wow, why is everybody always picking on me? Like, make fun of the blind guy again. Right? I can't help it. Been told all my life that I sinned or my parents sinned. But then when Jesus, I think when Jesus begins to touch him, he begins to feel a sense that there's something different about this guy. There's something different about this guy. That the very one who had made man out of clay and mud was remaking his eyes at that very moment. So then there's going to be, yeah, but Jesus asked him to do something, doesn't he? And I thought about this. I've been married 27 years now, be 28 uh, next June. And uh, when I was dating my wife, you know, there comes a point where you're like, okay, it's time to put up or shut up, right? Like, so you realize um, I, I want to I marry this woman. I want to spend the rest of my life with this woman. Um, by the way, some of you are younger and you're thinking about that. Um, let me just assure you that you never know who you're really marrying until you marry them. But that's a good thing, right? Marriage is mostly an opportunity for grace and love and transformation of our Whole, uh, transformation of us as believers more into the image of Christ as we love another person un- unconditionally or strive towards that anyway so i i asked my wife i said hey you know we haven't done anything really cool in a long time why don't we why don't we have a special date so i got dressed up got a sports coat on bought her a corsage uh, uh made a reservation at a, a steakhouse in the area that was really good. I We never went there because I could never afford it as a college student. Uh, she came and picked me up because I didn't even have a car. So some of you guys, y'all are in better shape than I was. Uh, so there's hope for you, I guess. Um, I didn't even have a car and we went and we had a great meal and then we went to one of these, uh, there was some gardens on the, in the school we went to. There were some gardens that we used to go to to pray and spend some time together. Went into the garden at night and, and I, I sat her on the bench, got down on one knee, just like that, right? Like, right, opened up the box and said, Jenny, will you marry me? And she said, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm serious. Like, your heart kind of drops for a minute. And uh, she says, I couldn't see what you were doing. It was pretty dark. So, uh, but she did spoiler alert. She did say yes. And so we've been married 27 years, 28 in June. And she had to respond though. She had to say yes. That was an invitation to her. And this is the same thing with this, 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 uh, this blind man. He has to respond to the invitation. This is the rising action of the story, if you will. He has to respond to this invitation. I mean, Jesus could have just healed him with a, with a word. That was certainly within his power. We see Jesus do other miracles with just a word. He could have done that. We, but, but there's something to do with a demonstration of our faith and obedience that runs throughout the whole scripture. This is what we see. Remember Naaman, the Syrian general, goes in the time of Elisha and goes to him. He has leprosy. And Elisha says, what? He says, uh, you're, you're going to be healed. No, he says, go wash in the Jordan. Now, if Naaman doesn't do that, nothing's going to happen. So he goes and washes in the Jordan, and he's healed. For us as Baptists, we, we, we rightly point out that baptism is a demonstration of that obedience. It's a demonstration that something has happened, that there's a trust in Jesus Christ, a confidence in him, that we placed our lives in, we placed our, our confidence and our trust in him in faith. And that's what Jesus is inviting this man to do. He's inviting him to, to do that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer and uh, uh, of discipleship puts it this way, only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient believes. Now the obedience, the action doesn't do anything towards salvation. It demonstrates that salvation. That's what we see in James. That's what we see in Jeremiah. That's what we see in Amos. That's what we see in Habakkuk. We see it over and over. God is always initiating an encounter with us. God is always inviting us to respond. Whether Whether you're not a Christian, he's inviting you into salvation, to trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. If you are a Christian, I don't know what he's inviting you to. Maybe, maybe you're wandered away from the Lord. Maybe you're not walking closely with the Lord. Maybe you sense that the Lord is asking you to do something. But he's always inviting and always initiating and always asking for a response. And he's asking that today, to respond in obedience. Respond in obedience. Let this, let this man be an example to us that as he responded in obedience, Lord, let us do the same. Let, let us do the same. And this is how this works. You know how Jesus talked about he who is faithful in little will be, uh, will be given more and will be faithful in much. Right? That's how we respond in obedience. And then we respond in obedience. And then we respond in obedience. And it's just a little step, a little step, a little step, a little step. And then you realize, wow, I'm, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus by responding in obedience. My relationship with the Lord is, is growing. That's where it starts. Well, I wonder what, how God is calling you to respond this morning in the, to the invitation that Christ has given. Maybe it's to give your life to Christ. Maybe it's to consider or to go on a short-term mission. Maybe it's to reconcile with someone to, with whom you have a, had a falling out. I don't know, but I know this. The Lord is always reaching out to us, always inviting us to respond in obedience. Now, look, notice, notice what happens. How do things turn out for him? So we've got kind of the rising action here. That's the first part of the plot of this, this, uh, this pericope, this story. Now we're going to see the conflict. There's going to be conflict. Every story has conflict. Look at what it says in verse 13. Beginning I mean in verse 13, they brought the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, "He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see." Some of the Pharisees said, "This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath." But others said, "How can a man who is a sinner do such signs?" And there was division among them. And so, so they said to the blind man, "What do you say about him, since he's opened your eyes?" And he said, "He's a prophet." That makes sense. He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How now does he see? His parents said, We know that this is our son, that he was born blind, and how how, how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents says, he said he is of age. Ask him. This man is excited. He's jubilant. He's, he's, he's not quite sure who Jesus is, but he knows he's someone special. He senses something different about him. He knows that at the very least, he's a prophet, and he confesses him as a prophet. The Pharisees hear about it. They want to find out what's going on. They're not all that excited about Jesus. And the Pharisees, they, they, don't, they don't get it. As Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was always lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Going back to the Old Testament. And look, even his parents, even his parents back back off. Like, hey, he's eighteen. He's registered to vote. He can get drafted. Ask him. We don't want anything to do with it. He's old enough. And then look what happens. It goes on and says, so they, for a second time, they call this verse 24. They called the man who'd been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner and that give glory to God. is just like, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Just tell the truth. He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? he could do nothing. Then they answered him. You were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? And they cast him out. Never since the world began. In John, we see this, the, 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 the trajectory of the miracles are getting more and more amazing. They're going to culminate with the resurrection of Jesus. But before that, raising a man who died, Lazarus, just a few chapters after this. And they don't have anything to say. They were like, we're disciples of Moses. What they didn't realize was Moses said, another prophet like me will arise who speaks with God face to face. This is in Deuteronomy. And he was there in front of them, and they didn't recognize him. We were disciples of Moses. And he said, look, you don't know who he is, but he opened my eyes. No no one's ever done that before for a man born blind. Like, go away. You were born in sin. When they ran out of arguments, they went back to just that tired idea that this man must have been a sinner, or his parents must have been a sinner, and thus lesser than them. Because he was born blind. This is, this, is, this, is, this is what we see, that there is certainty of conflict and trial, certainty of tribulation when you come to trust Jesus Christ and you come to follow, start to follow him. We should not be surprised by this. Later on in the book of John, chapter 16, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble. What are you supposed to do? Trust God. Trust also in me. That's the answer. Trust God. You get the feeling here, you get the feeling here that everyone would have been happy if this guy had never been happier if he just hadn't met you Everyone would have been happier if this man would have never met Jesus. And so some of you know what that's like. For some of you, you're the only Christian in your family. For some of you, uh, it's caused a rift. For some of you, you've lost friendships over it. For some of you, things are strained. I I tell you from the scripture, that's not because you've done anything wrong. It's to be expected. That's part of why we see this in this story, that trials and tribulations are certain to come. Certain to come. It's normal. Be prepared. What is God? What are you doing through that, Lord? He is refining us. This is what it says in James chapter 1. This is what it says in First Peter. This is what it says in Job. He is making us holy. He is turning that persecution or trials or tribulations or challenges, just like for this man, to something good as he continues to make us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. There is joy. There is so much joy to know that your guilt and your shame and your sins are forgiven, to know that God has reached out and saved you, to know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that one day you will see him face to face. There is so much joy in that. But it is also true in the scriptures that in this world, we will have trouble. and We need to tell people that when we, when we talk to people about the gospel, we need to tell the truth about that. We need to let them know that. I was, I was a remember, you know, sometimes for us in America, as church folks in America, we've, we've had uh, a culture that has been friendly to us as Christians, but we're not guaranteed that even here. And that's not the case for many people. And that's not even the case for a lot of people in America. I remember I just finished reading uh, the biography of uh, Nabil Qureshi, who was a Muslim in America. And he came to know Christ. You know how long it took? Five years. He had friends who were ministering to him and loving him and caring for him and talking to him and overcoming his objections and encouraging him to read the Bible and encouraging And finally, he came to know Christ. And you know what he realized? From the moment he began to consider really trusting Christ, He knew that his relationships with his parents, which were very, very good, by the way, had a good family life, were going to be destroyed or overturned, right? That's what it's like for so many people. When we share the gospel and we talk to them about trusting Christ, we need to be upfront about that. Because when we're not, and those trials and tribulations come, or they watch somebody on TV who tells them, it's, oh, you know what, you trust Christ, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be wise, you're going to have the best marriage, you're not going to have any trouble, your kids are going to obey you, all those things, they believe that. So we need to tell them the truth about what the scripture says. And you know what, though? Here's, 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 the, here's the fact about that. This brings us to the last portion of this story, the resolution, if you will, is that it's worth it. It's worth it. When Jesus initiates a counter, encounter with you and you respond and conflict comes, it's still worth it. Look at what happens to this guy um, it, he, he, in, in the last portion portion of this. chapter, uh, Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found them, him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now look at that. Jesus heard what had happened to this guy. Something bad had happened and he went to find him. That's communicating something to us about what kind of savior we have. Okay, he's the one who goes looking for the lost sheep. He's the one who uh, became a human being for us and our salvation. He's the one that when there are trials and tribulations and there's challenges and times are tough, he's right there looking for us to minister. He goes looking for the guy. He says, do you believe in the son of man, which is a proclamation of divinity? uh, Going back to Ezekiel and Daniel. He answered And said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He's still thinking maybe Jesus is a prophet. Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who's speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he fell down and worshiped him. Jesus comes back to this man, and this man recognizes that he is the son of man. The word made flesh, the Savior. And it says he worships him. Any legitimate encounter with Jesus Christ should result in more worship of him or worship of him for the first time for some people or worship of him over and over. If it doesn't put the spotlight on Jesus, it's not from the Lord. This is, the word here is proskuneo. This is, this is the word that's used when, when we open the book of Revelation and John on the island of Patmos has a vision of Jesus. Now John walked with Jesus. He was in the inner circle. The three, they, they ate together. It's, it says in the last supper, he's the one who leaned against Jesus. So they were comfortable with each other. And then Jesus appears to him and what's he falls on his face as dead and worships him. I just pray that as, as we um, maybe you for the first time have never given your life to Christ. I just pray that, that, that my, maybe this morning would be the day. Some of you are considering that. God is reaching out to you. God is inviting you. God wants you to know Jesus Christ, to, to confess your sins, to be forgiven of your sins and to have eternal life. To worship him as this blind man did. He is a, an anonymous character in the book of John who gives us an example of what, how we are to respond to Jesus for the first time, for the second time, or the 100,000th time. It's the same way we respond to Jesus when we're with him in glory at the end of the age. Jesus initiates this encounter with with this this man who cannot do it on his own. He invites him to respond. The man responds. There's conflict, but ultimately it leads to his recognition that, that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And, you know, what we see in this last passage, the last portion of this passage, is really two responses. Two responses. The, the blind man to the same set of circumstances. The blind man recognizes Jesus Christ, and he puts his faith and confidence in him. He believes in him. The Pharisees, they resist. They ask antagonistic questions because they don't want to believe. And that's the choice for us. Today and every day, are we going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him, or are we going to resist His invitation to do so? Let me pray for us, and we're going to have a time of invitation, and then uh, we'll close. Okay. Lord, we thank you so much for your Scripture and the way that you have preserved these encounters with your Son Jesus Christ in them. Father, um, we're encouraged. Um, by the fact that you became a human being for us in our salvation that we might have eternal life that we might have our sins forgiven that we might um, have our uh, guilt and shame removed and father i do pray for those who may be considering placing their faith in jesus christ that, that today would be the day when they um when they do like this blind man and they give their life to you and they worship you Lord, I pray for those who've known you for a long time. Lord, I know that you're always reaching out, always initiating, always inviting us to be obedient. Let us be obedient more and more and more as we grow in your image. And I pray that if there's other decisions that need to be made this morning, that those too might be made. Thank you for our freedom to be here to worship. We ask that you would work now in our time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.